Amen. So we're starting off a little late, so I'll try to go as, as quick as I can, but I'm already 15 minutes behind where I usually start. So if we go over a little bit, I realize it, um, but the, the goal is to get through the whole chapter uh, this morning. So uh, let's pick up Romans uh, chapter 4. Now, a, a recap from last week. Paul is uh, building his argument. He's built it up, uh, and he has pointed out, as we uh, just discussed, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But he also explains that there's a righteousness of God that is apart from the law that is available to those that believe in Jesus Christ. You know, that righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If we understand what that means. Uh, because, uh, and I'll say it now, and I, I may repeat this several times, there is no way for us to get right with God outside of Jesus Christ. There's absolutely no other way. There's no way. There's no way that our good deeds can pay for our sins, right? We understand this, right? But sometimes I think we get it, but then there's times when we like, I get it, right? Because we can leave and go, no, God really doesn't love me because of this. This is, this. oh, no, I, I must not have the Holy Spirit because of this. This Guys, these are all things that I know I've gone in, in my life and I've gone, well, yeah, I know the scripture says that, but is that true for me? If we have a believing faith in God and in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and that he's resurrected, then if we believe that with our heart, confess it with our mouth, and we're walking with the Lord, that is true. Those, those things are true for us, that our sins are gone and that the Holy Spirit resides in us. Okay, Those are promises from the word that we can, we, this isn't name and claim, anything like that, but we literally can stand upon those things and claim those in our lives because they're true and they're written in the word. Okay, we're not making com uh, you know commands and demands of God and saying, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to claim it, and then God has to do it. No, 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 no. It's the other way around, right? God is the one that sets the rules and He sets, uh, you know, what's going on here. So, so uh, there's a justification by God's grace through the redemption in Christ uh, for us that have fallen short. He ends chapter 3, uh, well, as he's progressing through, I'll get to the end here in just a moment, but it, then he has to deal with boasting. You know, then where is boasting? If, if, if we're not saved by works, then where is boasting? And Paul says that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's excluded, it's gone. Uh, there, there is no inclusion for, for boasting. There's no room for boasting in the Christian's life. We can't look and go, well, I'm, you know, I have all these things and, and I'm definitely getting to heaven because of these things that I've done in my life. I said this prayer, I did this, and I did these things, check, check, check. No, those should be evidences of a, 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 re, a renewing that's happened in our lives, that we have been made new in Christ. Uh, those aren't the things that save us. Those are the things that should be evident within our lives. Romans 31. Uh, Paul ends, he says, do we make void, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So as we're going into chapter four, we just need to understand that Jewish Christians in Rome's, Rome would have been asking specific, specific, and guys, I can't talk. I can't think today. I don't know what's going on. Lord, help me. That was my prayer. That was a real prayer right there. Um, and, uh, you know, would have, uh, these are doctrinal things that the Jews would have been asking. Okay, so what are you talking about, this, this doctrine of justification by faith, and how does that relate to their history? 
So Paul, who is a Jew himself and a Jewish religious leader, understands these, these questions that can pop up. So he's, he, he uses this uh, question and answer. He continues to use that to, to, uh, to minister to them and, and to help them through it. So he, he uses these questions and uh, he goes uh, also into two of the most prominent Jewish uh, uh figures in Jewish history, Abraham and David. You know, we, of course, we know there's Moses. Moses has already been included also. But specifically here in chapter 4, uh, he includes Abraham and David into his further explanation of what's going on. You know, as Paul is answering uh, this this question uh, that, that can uh, be asked, you know, okay, well, well, what is uh, this doctrine of justification by faith? How does it relate to our history? Uh, those types of things. He used three important facts about Abraham's salvation uh, to point out the same spiritual uh, experience in that day and that can even happen today. So Abraham was, first of all, the first thing was he was justified by faith and not by works. He's justified by grace and not the law. And he's justified by resurrection power and not human effort. So as we're going through this, understand what Paul is trying to get through to the Jewish readers that are in Rome as he's writing these things. So verse 1, Paul is explaining that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. Verse 1 says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So uh, when, when we're looking here, if, if, you know, look right at, at verse 2. It says there's a justification that needs to be discussed. If it's by works, he could boast. If Abraham was justified by his works, then, then he may have a reason to boast. You know, he has something to boast about, but not before God, it says. You know, if you consider that justification being declared righteous and made acceptable in God's eyes, it's a necessity because we've, uh, we've looked at a few things uh, from Romans 3, but Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So there's, there's nobody that can, can glory in anything in front of God. Because this says here, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No flesh by the deeds of the law. The things that we can do right. Oh, you know, it says in the Bible to do this. Cool, I'm good. Now I can stand in God's, in God's presence. No, those are things that we just should do, right? Those are the law, right? Those are the things of the law. Right when we obey the law here, nobody's like giving us a pin of commend, uh, you know, commandment, right? And just say, "Hey, good job," you know, all these things. It's when we break the law, right? That's when they, we get everybody's attention, you know. That's when everybody's like, "Wait a minute, this didn't just happen, did it?" Yeah, and and then it and then it's evident from there. But before God, there's no glorying in His presence. There's uh, no justification uh, in the flesh. I like this. It says, for what does the scripture say? We could spend all day in a conversation just on that question. What does the scripture say? That's an important question that we should be asking about everything. Everything in our lives. For the Christian, what does the scripture say? Because the word of God is the authority in our life. Not the laws of the land, 
not uh, you know, uh, popular opinion, not any of those things. What does the Scripture say? Because we can go all off. Just look, just look at the, 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 at our nation right now. I mean, look at, the, look at the vision in our nation. Look at the rejection of God in our nation. And look what's happened in our nation. There's just total chaos, hatred, confusion, depression, anxiety. Why? Because there's no direction. Nobody knows where we're going. Everybody's going in their own direction. If It's because we have rejected our Father. We rejected his word. What does the scripture say? Well, the scripture says this, but I don't like that, so I'm not going to listen to it. Cast that out. Well, the scripture says this. And, well, what are the scriptures anyways? They were written thousands of years ago. How would they apply today? They still apply today because the word's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The scriptures apply today just as much today as they did when they were written. So when we consider what the scriptures say, we that's that's what the Christian should use to to build our faith upon, to live our lives by, all these things. I love that Paul, that the Holy Spirit uh, inspired Paul to write, what do the scriptures say? Right? Because we could stop there, like I said, we can talk about it all day. What do the scriptures say about this? What do the scriptures say about this, this, this? That's where the Christian should find our answers. Very important question. But what do the Christians say regarding this question, right? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages uh, are not counted as grace, but as debt. So Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted, imputed, credited to his account, uh, along those lines when we're trying to figure out what imputed means, that they were credited, right? What, when you consider... Um, and we'll get into uh, imputed with sin, okay? We'll get into that a little bit more here. But that's essentially what it means, that, we, that it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to understand this better, uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, first book of the Bible, all the way back uh, to uh, chapter 15, verse 1. So that we have a better understanding. If we're going to discuss what Abraham said and what happened and what the Lord said and those things, it's good for us to read these uh, and get a refresher. We've studied through this as a church, but I think it might be easier if, or you can follow along there. I don't know if all six verses are there, um, but uh, I don't. I think they're probably on another page. But I'm going to read this. Genesis chapter 15, verse one says this: After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your body, your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's what when, when, when we're looking at, you can go back now uh, whenever you're ready, back to um, 
uh, Romans 4. But to understand, like, where did that come from? What is he talking about there? To understand that God made a 90-year-old man, 99-year-old man, a promise. Okay? There was a promise from him that he was going to have a child of his own. Didn't understand it, right? Because we're going to see that later on when uh, when things go, and uh, Abraham's still asking the Lord about this at 99 years old. He said, no, you're going to have a son through your wife, Sarah. Sarah's 89, 90 years old. He's 99, uh, almost 100, as we're going to read here as we're studying. You don't see a whole lot of people walking through the mall at 99 and or 100, we'll say 190 by the time the babies were born, right? Baby was born, right? You don't usually see that. You know, oh, those are your great grandkids. No, it's our son, right? We're going to, what? It's going to be a whole different thing, right? Abraham believed what God said. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if you're back, and we're going to dive into this more, but if you're back in Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says, uh, is explaining that if one tries to work, it will never be enough. The work is counted as debt. Our works can never cover our sins. You have to understand that faith counts by grace, not works. Very important thing for us uh, to understand in our Christian doctrine. Now, Paul goes on to point that David celebrated the same truth here, and uh, he ends up quoting from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, uh, he says in verse 5 of Romans 4, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. It's a guilty man writing that. <laughs> That's a guilty man. We, we're familiar with David's, uh, David's failures. You know, David uh, had uh, multiple failures in his life, but the chief one uh, that we're usually uh, we go to uh, in remembrance is the fact that he stole a man's wife and had the man murdered. Uh, you know, consider that. That's pretty intense, right, as, as the king abusing his power and uh, uh, using his power to take another man's wife while the guy's away at war for him. So uh, there, there was, that's a pretty bad thing to do. And when David uh, can reflect on his, his sin and realize, wait a minute, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered? Wow. That's, that's oh, praise God, right? Praise God. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute Sin. So Paul says here in verse 5, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So what he's saying is for those that don't trust in the works, especially to those Jewish uh, readers at the time, those who trust in their own good deeds uh, and, and making sure that they're following all the letters of the law, he's saying that's not, what, that's not how we're saved. We're justified by faith. Uh, the justified by faith. It says his faith is accounted for righteousness. That as we come to the realization um, that it's not our works that do it, but God justifies the ungodly uh, and our faith 
is accounted for righteousness. So what Abraham did uh, and, and how that applied to him also applies to us. That God justifies the ungodly because the ungodly that comes to faith in Christ has their sins paid for. There's the justification that we talked about uh, that we, we just did a communion, right? We're talking about God is just to forgive us. It, it is part of God's justice system to forgive us in Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's an amazing thing to consider, that God has, has made it part of his justice system to forgive, to wash away sins, because one has already paid. And if we stand in faith in him, then our sins are forgiven. So when Paul is, is quoting David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds uh, are forgiven and whose sins are covered, we all say amen to that, right? The lawless deeds forgiven, sins covered, we stand in Christ's righteousness. That means that we're seen by God as sinless. We understand what that means? Like If we have the blood of Christ that has covered us, we stand sinless before God because of what Christ has done for us. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin, you know, credit sin to our account. That uh, we've, we've talked about the word impute, right, to put on our account. But we have to understand that in Christ our sin is gone in him. Psalm 103 verses 10 through 14 say this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he knows that we're dust. That's the heart of God. The, the forgiveness that is available to God. Not punished us according to our iniquity. Right? That's grace right? and mercy. When you put those things together, that we're not getting what we do deserve, and then we're getting what we don't deserve. Right? When we see that he's not uh, punished us according to our iniquities, that's what we're crying out for the mercy of God. And in his grace, he says, okay, because you stand in Christ. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. His mercy toward those who fear him. Right. It says in, in verse 11 of, of Psalm 103, it says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Doesn't say to those who check off this box and check off this box and do those things. It is the faith that we have in Christ. That is what gives us, uh, you know, what qualifies us for his mercy. When we say, you know, I, I don't deserve it, but I ask for it through Jesus Christ. And then we get it. There's no mention of works in anything we just read there. It's all about fearing him, walking with him, and having a relationship with God. Verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Jewish reader reading that's like, oh. <laughs> right? Okay, their, their jaw is on the floor, right? Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith, 
which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness, uh, that righteousness may be imputed to them also, and the father, uh, sorry, the father of circumcision uh, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while uncircumcised. So what has been brought into light here is a, a powerful thing to consider, especially for the Jews as they're reading this. Because their claim was that, okay, we've got Abraham's blood in us, we're circumcised, we're following the law, we're doing what we're told to do, that, therefore we can stand. And now Paul is shattering that in front of them. Paul is ripping that apart. And so he, he speaks of, there, there's a blessedness that's spoke of in verses 7 and 8. Uh, and there, the lawless deeds are forgiven and sins are covered and uh, the a sin is not imputed, right? Now Paul goes on talking, continues talking about this blessedness. And he asks if the blessedness only comes upon the circumcised or if it applies to the uncircumcised also. What he's talking about is Jews and Gentiles, okay? All right, so if, if there's just like this, okay, why are we talking so much about circumcision, right? It's because that is the sign that separated the Jews from the Gentiles, okay? That's why this is being brought up so much. So Paul asks if blessedness only comes upon the circumcised or the uncircumcised also. To answer the question, he goes again to Abraham. And uh, if, if, uh, sir, if uh, when we're really considering this, if uh, there's righteousness uh, accounted to uh, Abraham because of works, then then there's a whole you know big problem with his argument here. But if we're counted righteousness because of the faith and not circumcision, uh, then the blessedness of verses seven and eight is available for Gentiles also. It's not just for the Jew. So when when it comes down to what he's saying here is it's not this work of the flesh that's important. It's the belief in God, and specifically in Jesus Christ, and, and who he is and what he has done. So Paul ensures that all that read uh, understand and know that circumcision came after righteousness was accounted to Abraham. Like I said, this might be a mind blower for them as they're reading it, because they're like, wait a minute, he's pointing this out, that it says this in verse 15, that it was accounted him for righteousness before circumcision. So their wheels are spinning. Their, their heads are going. And, uh, and basically, if you, if you break this all down, this means that anyone that is contesting that a Gentile could, uh, must be circumcised before they can be considered righteousness, uh, righteous, they're wrong. Because what they were saying was that a, a Gentile needed to be, that yes, they can believe in Jesus and everything, but they have to be circumcised also. And that was part of the, the decision that, we, right, we talked about the Jerusalem Council in Acts. It was one of the things that the Jews were saying is, wait a minute, they're not, they're not circumcised. They can't, no, they're not following along. They're rejecting the law. You're supposed to have this, uh, the Old Testament, and this, this new belief and circumcision. You've got to throw all these things together. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. Look at Abraham himself, who was considered righteous before uh, he was circumcised. So justification is not through circumcision, but through faith. And God made sure that works had nothing to do with salvation, and I'm so blessed by that. We talked about that even last week. Because where, where's the assurance for us, right? Have I done enough? Did I, did I do enough to cover my sins? 
or the head's going to get too big, right? You know, and, and probably wouldn't even fit through those double doors over there. Oh, yes, I've done enough. You know, coming through with all these things and bells and whistles saying how good we are uh, because our, our, our sinful flesh is, is like that, right? God made sure that, uh, you know, we, uh, we understand that salvation comes by grace through faith. You know, works should be evidence of our salvation, right? And that's what James is saying. You know, faith without works is dead. We talked about that even last week. But works should never be considered the source of our salvation, ever. Okay? So remember that, guys. Remember that when we're going through life and, oh, I just thought that. Man, why did I think that? It's sinful. I shouldn't think that. Am I even a child of God? Guys, yes. Okay, so one thing to, to understand. If there is... A, uh, a, a spotlight on our sin or there is a condemnation that we're experiencing in our heart and our minds or those things we have to consider one of two things with that condemnation with that spotlight on our sin if it's pointing us to God that is coming from God if it's pointing us to Jesus Christ and the forgiveness in Christ that's coming from God there if the condemnation is discouraging our faith and pointing us away from Jesus Christ that comes from our enemy Okay, so when when we understand, okay, yes, I'm a sinner, and oh, I just sinned, I just did that, I, you know, I said that when I was driving by somebody or whatever, whatever it is, okay, then we go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, Lord, or do we, if there's the condemnation saying you're not a Christian, wait a minute, you should forget all this faith thing. You know, what are you doing? You're a fake. You know, you're going to church. Everybody else is there, but you know, you shouldn't be there. You don't need to be there. Because everybody else it must be genuine in their faith, but you're, you're the fake, right? You guys ever had those things pop up in your mind? Those are from our mind. That's called spiritual warfare. That's the enemy trying to discourage us from walking with the Lord. We have to listen to the voice of God. When we see those things and we that condemnation pulling us away from Jesus Christ, that's from our enemy. If there is a spotlight, there's something there like God's putting his finger right on a specific thin, thing in our lives, sin, whatever it is. And he's saying, I want you to, to confess this to me, and I want you to sacrifice. I, I want you to throw this out of your life. Purge this out of your life. This does not need to be a part of your life. That's from God. That's from the that's the Holy Spirit working within us and doing his work. Where was I? So to the Jew, circumcision meant everything. And he's making it clear that Abraham's faith was what was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's trust in the word of God is what it was accounted to him for righteousness. While uncircumcised. Circumcision for him didn't come until 17 years later. So when we consider, sorry, 14 years later in Genesis 17. Uh, so 14 years later is when that actually came. In verse 11 it says he received the sign of circumcision. It says a seal of righteousness of the faith which uh, he had while still uncircumcised. Circumcision uh, was the physical mark that spoke of the righteousness uh, Abraham had through faith. And circumcision did not come first, but as a seal afterwards, so that he could be the father of those who believe, right? Genesis 17, verse 4 says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Many nations. Think about that. Many nations. The nation of Israel is one. Many nations. What, it, what the Lord was saying is that there are going to be many that become uh, uh, followers of God with the same faith that Abraham said, believing in the words of God. 
And as it says here in verse 12, it says, but who walk in the steps of faith. That's the key ingredient for us. It's not about circumcision, right? It's not about for the circumcised, the uncircumcised, all that stuff. It's about faith and us walking in faith. And when the Lord told uh, Abraham in Genesis 17 that he would be the father of many nations, we have to consider what that means. If you couple that with Galatians 3 verse 7, it says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3.29, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's when we consider Abraham is, is called the father of our faith. It's the same faith we have in God. We have to believe in Jesus Christ. When we have the faith in God that Abraham had, then we are, are uh, considered sons of Abraham. Like it says in verse, verse 7, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And it says if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right? So those two things uh, marry up very well, both from Galatians 3. So there's a, there's a promise that is granted by faith. Not through outward expression, circumcision uh, of the heart is what was truly required by God. Uh, yes, the outward expression uh, of, of circumcision for the males, yes, absolutely it was. But it was supposed to be uh, that an outward symbol of what was going on in someone's heart. The act of uh, circumcision was to be a sign of the inward condition, right? So this means that from a Jewish point of view, Abraham was a Gentile. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Because you think of Abraham. Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And he was called, and, and the scriptures even tell us, uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, tell us that, Josh, that Abraham's father was an idolater. So Abraham was called away from there in Genesis 12. And so understand where Abraham came from. Abraham was a Gentile. And because he believed in God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Then came the circumcision as the symbol, right? Putting the dots together, right? Hopefully, hopefully I'm explaining this the right way. But Abraham, who was a Gentile, called to believe in God. When he believed in God, it was accounted him for righteousness. Then came circumcision. He's writing this to the Jews who believe that circumcision was the most important thing for them. To be a child of God, right? Verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the promise, right, came uh, through Abraham believing God's promise, um, not the law. So this, this promise that God made to him. I'm going I'm to give you a son. And you're going to end up being the father of many nations. Now, Abraham believed that. And because he believed that, God, like we said, credited him to, it for, uh, to him for righteousness. Understand that the law hadn't even been given yet. The law came four, 400 years after this. So when we're considering all this, and the Jew is having their mind blown by this Jewish Pharisee that has uh, you know, believed in Christ and now is preaching Christ, is telling them that that something that came 400 years wasn't even a part of Abraham's life. But he was still 
considered righteous in God's eyes because of his faith. No doubt their minds were just getting blown over this. Paul explains that the law points out sin. There's no way to pay for sin, so the wrath uh, would be the result of breaking the law. You notice it says here in verse 15, where there's no law, there is no transgression. Consider like speed limits. There's no speed limit posted. You can't be pulled over for speeding if there's no speeding ticket, right? If there's no speed limit posted. You're going faster than the posted. There is no post. That's just an example, right? But the law in and of itself does exist. And there is a transgression of the law. But is it faith that saves us from that? And as we've uh, discussed already, faith in Christ saves us from that penalty. It says, if we are heirs of God's promise through works, faith is made void and of no effect. So if we can be saved by our works, then faith doesn't mean anything. All we have to do, so anybody, as long as they're good enough, right? And this is a common thing, right? Especially in today's world, if I'm good enough, if they're good enough and I'm not hurting people, well, that person over there, uh, you know, that person did that. They're never going to heaven. But me, I don't do all any of these big things. Yeah, I do these things here, but I don't do any of those things. Right? That's a very popular, especially in our culture right now. Especially when you start talking about heaven or hell. You start talking about eternal life. Who goes to heaven? And they'll say, oh, you know, the people that don't do this, this, and this. You know, the good, good moral people. No, that's not what the scriptures say. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So that law who, that, that didn't come until 400 years later and Abraham is considered righteous because he believed in Christ and he has that, that, uh, that righteousness in, in, in God's eyes because of his faith. All of that stuff, wouldn't, it, when you consider the law and everything that it has, that the law is, it, it tells us that we need a Savior, that we're sinners and that we're needed. God's law is perfect. And if we fail it in one spot, we failed it in all spots. And we stand guilty before God. So if we can be sinned, like it says here, uh, it says uh, verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So if there's check boxes that can be done, you can bet. I bet, I bet just about everybody in this country is going to run around. They got their piece of paper in their hand like a scavenger hunt, right? And they're going, okay, if I want to get to heaven, I need to do this. Is, okay, this is all good. Okay, now I can go do whatever I want to do, right? Right, because that's that's in the heart of man. That's the rebellion that's that's inside our hearts and woman. Right, uh, that's what's inside our hearts. We want to go do what we want to do. We don't want to follow God. But I love here that it's that Paul is saying that you know if 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 the the um, if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is. So basically, what he's saying is if, if those that have, have followed the check marks uh, are are going to be the heirs, then what does it mean to even have faith? Doesn't doesn't uh, mean anything to us. It's not going to give us anything that we need. Verse 16, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believe so that he became the father of many nations according 
to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not the weak, and not being weak uh, in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So because Abraham was justified by grace through faith, that means that all men can be saved. Everybody, because we just talked about this. Abraham was considered righteous before God before the law came. He was considered righteous before God before any of those things came to say, hey, these are the things that you need to do before even circumcision came, right? That came 14 years later. That means that anybody can be saved. This is, this is what Paul is laying down here. This is the best of any news for a Gentile, that we can be saved by God's grace through faith in him. This ensures that God gets the glory and not sinful man. The verse 16 says that not only those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith, as we discussed, the father of many nations. Again, Galatians 3, 7 says, Therefore, know that only those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. And 29 says, I know by sharing this with you twice and doing this on purpose, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's talk about the promise uh, and, and uh, Abraham being the father of us all. Important to understand these things. Verse 17, God who gives life to the dead and called those things to uh, which do not exist as though they did. Now, I, I had planned to, I'm just going to summarize uh, Ezekiel. I had I had 14 verses in Ezekiel 37 to go through, uh, but I'm just going to summarize those because we are running low on time. But I encourage you, go read Ezekiel 37. Verses 1 through 14, uh, and, and we'll uh, have a, a little bit of an understanding of, of where I was going with that. Uh, and I'll but I will summarize it here. So God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Those, uh, that's what we're going to look at right now. Jesus Christ lays Lazarus from the dead by spoken word, right? Lazarus come forth, and he came forth. Right? They rolled the stone away, and out comes Lazarus, who've been dead for many days. And they're like, he's, well, as the King James says, he stinketh. You know? So uh, he stunk. You know? In Ezekiel 36, God directed Ezekiel to prophesy of the rebirth of Israel. Ezekiel 37 speaks of God telling it, uh, Ezekiel, I'm going to try to summarize this without reading it all, to speak to dry bones to prophesy to them, to speak to them. And then what he sees is these dry bones come to life. You guys have heard the song, right? You call out to dry bones, come alive. That is how God works. God needs something to be dead to give it life. Right? We need to come to the point where, right? That's a symbol of, of baptism, right? I have come to the end of myself. Myself, I've come to the point that I'm a sinner. I need to be baptized. And the symbol of me going away and dying and me, the, the new me and Christ coming up. Uh, that's, that's the important thing to understand. That uh, baptism uh, gives us a great picture of God taking something that's dead and giving it life. Because when we realize that I've sinned and I've fallen short of, of the glory of God and that I should be penalized for my sin and I should be separated from God forever. And then to understand what Jesus Christ did for us. Oh, God is so good. He's so good. 
Verse 18 spoke of Abraham producing children. 99 years old, right? It says, though he was about 100 uh, years old. So God said to him, so shall your descendants be. <laughs> when God says this shall happen, it does happen. Abraham believed that. So shall your descendants be. Abraham believed in God's ability to carry that out. And he and Sarah had a child when he was 100 years old. She was 90. Now we, just, just to meditate on that for a minute, right? I know we did already. Abraham actually deep down inside of him believed that. That's what the scripture is saying. Abraham believed God. It wasn't like he's like, okay, gotcha. There, there wasn't that. And we're going to get into that here even a little bit more when we get to verse 20. It says he didn't even waver at the promise of God. Think about that. At 99, right? Yeah, I guess I guess one way to look at it is, okay, I've got, I've, I, this is just popping in my head, so if the analogy doesn't work, I'm sorry, okay? How many times, okay, I'll say it this way. How many times have you heard of somebody say they were told by all the doctors they weren't ever going to walk again? And they're walking. You'll never walk again, right? Those things, right, that can happen. If, if there is something spoken by God, whatever God speaks, that's what we need to believe. We may It's so easy for us to believe what somebody else says, right? Specifically, even in the medical community. If somebody took that and they're like, well, you know, you've been a doctor. You've been, you know, you went through at least, you know, you got your, your uh, undergrad and your grad. You got eight years of school uh, behind you if you're a family practice doctor. Okay, okay so you went through a residency and uh, you, you um, and an internship. There's another four years, three-year residency, an internship and everything. And then, oh, you did a fellowship too. I used to be a health professor's recruiter, right? So I, I kind of, I got to learn their world a little. Then, then you can look at the, something and go, okay, you got 12 years studying this stuff. You must know, right? But if God says something different, we believe God. That's, you know, I, and, and guys, I understand. We've seen it happen in this church. We've seen, we've lost people in this church we didn't want to lose, right? Unfortunately, we, we lost them I mean, to their game. You know, they're, they're with the Lord right now. Paul Reynolds comes to mind. Oh, man. Paul Reynolds. If you, don't, if you didn't know Paul Reynolds, he was, he was like deacon of deacons, right? You know, he, he was one of those guys. You know, I just remember, you know, Paul, he's a retired mill worker. And he would just run around this place, and, and he just—he's just about the work and everything. And Paul heard, you know, he had esophageal cancer, and uh, he came to the the fact where he just, uh, you know, okay, I've, I'm just going to trust God and and hope that He's going to deliver me. But Paul was ready to go home. Paul was ready to go home before that. Paul's just like, hey, I'm ready to go home. Paul wasn't disappointed the day that he passed away in Ellsworth. If you guys remember, there was a there was a small group of, from this church that uh, went up, and Eric Mitchell led us in some songs, and, and just, uh, you know, Amazing Grace and some other songs, and we're just singing around Paul, and he, he passed away, I think it was that evening, um, after everybody had died. Paul's not, you know, looking back like, oh, I got ripped off. Paul's not at all. Paul is, is with the Lord because of the faith that he had in him. We consider... Believing what God says. 
Let us believe in him and not the opinions of man. Now remember, this is Paul driving the point of faith home to those who trust in law. In the law, he's using Abraham and David, which was very wise. It caught their attention, and he showed them how faith uh, is what saves, and not of the works that they were trusting in. I'm going to blast through this. I know it's 11:30, but like I said, I started late, so I'm going to try to wrap this up in the next 10 minutes or so. Okay, so. Lord, please bless the children's workers and nursery workers. I love them. Give them a hug. Tell them I love them. Uh, verse verse twenty says he did uh, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that the, that what he had promised he was also able to perform. If the promise comes from God. We need to trust in the promise. And he's talking about the promise of salvation. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification says he didn't waver, going back to verse 20, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. But he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. I like that. And man, does that make me just feel like such a weak Christian, right? Here's a 99-year-old man that believed what God said, that at 100 years old they had the baby. 99 years old, he's still believing in God, didn't waver. There were times where he's like, so is this going to happen, Lord? I believe this. When's it going to happen? But, but what Paul is declaring, that he didn't waver at the promise, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that, he had prom that, uh, that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. If God is promising salvation to us through, by grace through faith, that is a promise of the scripture. As we believe in that, we can walk and we can have this not a uh, faith that's not wavering and we can walk fully convinced, right? Consider, right? I know I've shared this before. 1 John chapter 5 tells us that we can know we have salvation. There's always the question when people talk, they're like, I, I, I hope I'm saved. I think I'm saved. No, take them right to that. I think it's verse 17. If someone wants to look that up and give me a thumbs up, that's great. But it's 1 John chapter 5 says that to us. It says that we can know that we have salvation in Christ. There's no question. No question. I love that God is putting exclamation points everywhere. Is that what you're seeing when I read this? It's exclamation points as, as I'm reading here. There isn't a question mark. Being fully convinced. Verse 22 says, And therefore, because he believed God's word, it was accounted him for righteousness, because he believed what God said. Because he did, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That righteousness before God, that he could stand before God righteous because he believed in God and he believed in his word. Not about the outward and anything that can be done. Isaiah chapter 29 sets this straight. Verse 13, therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near me, near with their uh, mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught, uh, is taught by uh, the commandment of men. Uh, 
Oliver actually even spoke about it where Jesus quoted that uh, in his ministry, right? That someone would draw near to God based on with their lips and what the, the outward appearance that they're following, uh, that they're following God and everything. But when we see the example here that, that, that Abraham believed God, he didn't waver, he believed God, he was fully convinced, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It wasn't an outward thing. He could have done all the outward things and fooled everybody else, but God knew what was going on in his own heart. Verses 23 and 24, it says that these things were not written for his sake alone, but for us also. We can have the same righteousness imputed to us, right? By faith in believing in God's word. Same thing. It's the same requirement. Believe in God and follow his word. And believe his word and follow. just apply it to our lives. Let's walk with God as he calls us to. Romans 10 verses 8 through 11 say, but what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. We're going to get to that in a few weeks, okay? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Okay, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So when we hear the word of God and we believe it, that's called faith. Okay, when we hear something about God and we believe it and we know that it's true and it's it's we because we can. There are a lot of people that can say a lot of things about God and they're not true. But when we look at the scripture and we know that it's true and it's proven, we can look at that and go, yes, I believe that and apply it to our lives. Then we're on the right track. Right. God wants our hearts, wants us to have a relationship with him. He does not want robots. <laughs> God doesn't want, yep, I checked off the box. Today. He doesn't want that at all. Wants our hearts. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 13 say, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's that faith. And in and, and pursuing God and walking with him, fully convinced that as we're walking God, we're seeking him, that he's he's listening to us, that he has saved us. Those the the great assurances, the great peace we have in our life. Right. When, with those things. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. Verse 25. Jesus was delivered up for our offenses and raised for our justification. Warren Wearsby said this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that God accepted his son's sacrifice. Now sinners can be justified without God violating his own law or contradicting his nature. I love that. I just had to copy paste and put it in here for us. I'll read it one more time. The resurrection of Christ is proof that God accepted his son's sacrifice. Now sinners can be justified without God violating his own law or contradicting his nature. Pretty powerful. Remember what we're reading. We're reading Paul declaring the gospel, the good news to them, right? Paul said in Romans 1.16, in our first week studying uh, in the book of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, right? There's a constant theme that, that Paul is just pounding into the hearts of anybody who's reading this. There's a belief. There's a faith that needs to happen. And when, when someone comes to that faith, 
faith, and they believe that in their heart, and they confess that with their mouth, theirs and salvation. And we're going to read the first two verses of Romans chapter 5. We'll go back next week and read them too. But therefore, because he just said all these awesome things, right? And if we consider everything he just said, a verse oh, back up to 24 says, But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Therefore, because of those things, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. Right? Therefore, because we've been justified by faith, because that has happened for the Christian, we have peace with God. Right? Consider, do you ever, we're, we're, the lost you, however many years, days, weeks, however, however long it's been, there was no peace without God, right? And what we've studied already is that God in his goodness calls us to repentance. When we understand like, oh, I, I'm, I, I just, I'm tired of this life. I don't know where to go. And God in his goodness says, you can turn to me. You can come to me. And then we believe that and we follow him. Then we experience the peace. That's when we experience the peace of God. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, right? He points us, you can turn to me because of what I've, I've already done for you. I've made the way for you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father through me, but through me. So as come, turn to me. You don't have to do that anymore. That's God in his goodness calling us to repentance. Come back to me. Oh, there's no greater peace to experience, right? The free gift experienced uh, by the believer, by grace, uh, through faith. Salvation's a free gift. Don't ever let yourself be told or convince yourself that you're uh, you need to do more to be saved. No, it's a faith in Jesus Christ that his his sacrifice was all sufficient. Trusting that him being raised up, as we as we said, was proof that God accepted his sacrifice for sin, and then we have the peace of God as we walk with him, as we believe these things and we apply into our lives. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we're, oh, it's, I, I feel like I'm not saying the words enough, but we are so grateful of the justification that we have in Christ. Just because we believe what your Bible says, what your word tells us. If we believe that in our heart and confess it with our mouth, we're saved. It's that simple but also so complicated for us sinners. Help us, Lord, to never be caught in the lie that we are not saved. If we have that believing faith in Christ that we need, Lord, that would bring us to the point of praying to you and asking for forgiveness and turning to you. Lord, may we never even entertain turning back to the world, turning back to our sinful nature. If we do, we know that you are faithful and you are a good father and you correct us and bring us back. Lord, help us to never get comfortable in that sin, but to come back to you where the peace is. We want your peace. Thank you that because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can have peace with you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you guys.